This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. Kelly, how are you? I just had the longest meeting. Oh, welcome to my convenience store. Would you like some googie googie? I have some very delicious googie googie, only 99 cents plus tax. Try my googie googie. Try my googie googie. Try my googie googie. Try my. What's going on, winners? Welcome to the Moranalytics Podcast, episode number 76. Today is Friday, December 7th, 2018. I am Patrick Moran. Coming up on the show today, I have one of Actually, you know what? Let me walk that back. Coming up on the show today, I have the best kicker in the history of the Buffalo Bills. Steve Christie will be my guest, and we talk about a lot of stuff. And I'll tell you what, if you're a fan of the Buffalo Bills, and if you've been a fan for quite a while, you're in for a treat today, because Steve's going to take you down memory lane. He joined the Buffalo Bills in the third year in the midst of four straight Super Bowls. We're going to relive that. He's going to tell you some stories about some of the players. Of course, the biggest thing, January 1993, the miracle comeback against Houston. The Bills erased a 32-point deficit. Steve Christie kicks the game-winning field goal. He'll tell us what was going through his mind and just the vibe and the atmosphere in that stadium at the time. Two weeks later, he kicks five field goals against Miami to send the Buffalo Bills to their third straight Super Bowl. Following year, boots a 54-yard field goal, which was a Super Bowl record. Actually still is a Super Bowl record. Steve's had a great career. A lot of it came with Buffalo. We'll discuss that. We're going to talk about his early years growing up in Canada, playing soccer. Didn't really start playing football until high school. Went to a small school. Started his career out in Tampa, lives in Florida now. In fact, he lives 15 minutes away from me. We're going to talk about all that great interview. Can't wait to bring that to you. Immediately after that, I got my buddy Joe. Buffalo wins on Twitter. We're doing the running with Joe. Recurrent segment we do. Not, I want to say every Friday, but a lot of Fridays. And this is one of them. I do have to warn you though right away. The audio this week for that is not great. We had a problem with Skype. I don't know what happened. We'll get it corrected for next week, but... I just want to let you know, the audio is below the typical standards of the show. It's not terrible, but it's not great either. But anyway, forget about that. Joe does his job and he does it well. Gives us really good takes on Kelvin Benjamin, Josh Allen. Talk a little bit about the Sabres and their recent losing streak. And he has a great finisher this week. 
on WWE heel, heel champion, I should say, Daniel Bryan. Really good stuff. Going to get to both those interviews in just a quick minute. For that, though, I need to indulge you. I got two announcements to make. One, I'm coming back to Buffalo for Christmas. I'm going to be home for two weeks. I'm really excited, obviously, to see friends and family. But beyond that, man, I'm not going to lie to you. I am really, really, really excited about the opportunity to get back after some good chicken wings. I'm telling you this, man. I'm telling you now, if you've lived in Buffalo your whole life, you just don't get it. People who don't live there anymore, you will get this. When you leave, you realize how good chicken wings are in Buffalo and that no matter where else you are, they're never the same. I'm in Florida and they suck. I'm not going to lie. They suck. So when I go to Buffalo, I go nuts on chicken wings. If you followed this podcast for the past year or so, you already know. Every time I get a chance in Buffalo, in fact, when I was back home this summer, I was going almost every night. I go to a different chicken wing spot. I try them. I write about them. I tweet about them and I power rank them. That's right. I power rank Buffalo chicken wings. I think I've done 32 or 33 of them. Definitely going to resume that. I'm going to hit at least four or five spots. And you know what else I'm going to do when I'm in Buffalo for those couple of weeks? I'm going to have at least one, maybe two podcasts where I do my taping from a chicken wing joint. Have no idea where. I'll put that together soon. Last time in August, I did one from Amherstdale House, and that was a lot of fun. I would definitely love to do something like that again. In fact, I will. I'll put that together. I'll give you guys more details as it gets closer. Other announcement. I've been binge watching The Office. This is, I think, my fifth go around. Yeah, my fifth go around from start to finish. Not counting some episodes that I probably watched 150 times. But anyway, I'm on season eight. It's a grind. And if you're a fan of The Office, you know what I'm talking about. First seven seasons, magical. Steve Carell left. Season eight was very difficult, very hard to watch. Just wasn't the same. I think season nine bounces back some. But anyway, I've been watching it. I'm taking notes. I am literally power ranking them one episode at a time as I go through. I'm going to have a full list when it's all said and done. And here's the deal. After the holidays are over, sometime in January, I'm going to start having a recurring office segment on this podcast. And maybe it's a full season. Maybe it's a half season, an episode, a topic, a specific character, an event, something. And I'm going to have a rotating guest and we're going to talk about them. And it's going to be fun. I got Nate Gary from WGR. He's definitely going to be on. Got some other sports media fans, athletes that are big fans of the show. I'm going to get them on and we're going to talk about The Office. A couple super fans. So I'm very stoked about that. I know there's a lot of listeners out there who are very big fans of The Office. Many of whom I interact with on Twitter regularly about the show. Maybe this will bring in some new people. We'll see. It's going to be fun and I can't wait to do it. So there you go. There's my two announcements, enough self-promotion and enough blabbering here. Let's get down to today's podcast and handle business. Here's my interview with legendary Buffalo Bills kicker, Steve Christie, followed immediately by the running with Joe. Bills can win it here. Wright puts it down. The kick is on the way. Okay, my guest today is not just the best kicker in Buffalo Bills history, 
but he's one of the all-time great NFL kickers. He played in the league for 15 seasons, including nine in Buffalo. He's a member of the Buffalo Sports Hall of Fame. Nowadays, much like myself, he lives in Florida. In fact, we're practically neighbors. I'm talking about Steve Christie. What's going on, Steve? Thanks for hooking up with me today and doing the podcast. My pleasure. Anytime. Big thrill to have you on. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of young fans out there, and they may not know this because they associate you with Buffalo or living down here in Florida now, but you're actually born in Ontario, Canada. Did you grow up loving hockey like pretty much every Canadian kid? I know you played soccer. We'll get into that in a second. Absolutely. Yeah, we grew up, uh, I grew up in Oakville, Ontario, just outside of Toronto. So, uh, you know, I grew up a Leafs fan and of course, uh, you know, over the years in Buffalo, I became a uh, Sabres fan as well. And then, you know, like many of us down here, we also follow the Lightning. So we have an odd household now where we actually follow three hockey teams. And um, it's, yes, there's a rivalry, but it's really, <laughs> it's, a, it's a civil rivalry in the house as far as hockey is concerned. <laughs> now, you started playing soccer at the age of just five. What was it about soccer that attracted you to wanting to play it at such a young age? Well, my dad was a referee and uh, he wanted to... Uh, you know, get me into sports uh, just to keep me busy. And soccer seemed to be um, kind of a no-brainer. Um, back then, I liked to run. I don't know. But back then, I liked to run. And um, the whole kicking of a, of, a, of a ball around the backyard and, and on the field seemed to appeal to me, and I just stuck with it. Were you a football fan at a young age as well? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, we have some history with the Hamilton Tiger Cats up in the CFL, but uh, obviously Buffalo was our home uh, NFL team, if you were to pick one, that would be it. So, um, yeah, we watched a, a good bit of CFL and NFL football. Now you started playing football in high school. How did that happen? Did you know that you wanted to be a kicker? Did you originally, when you were a kid, did you grow up, you know, dreaming maybe of playing another position or did you always want to kick the ball and punt the ball? Cause you were a punter too. Yeah, never. Uh, I grew up playing soccer and that's all I wanted to do. But uh, when I got into high school, uh, back then in, in Ontario, there was 13 grades. So my 12th grade, um, when I was 17, I agreed finally to kick, just kick in high school. And then the following year, my senior year, I kicked and I punted. <clears throat> nowhere along the way did I expect to play in, uh, football in college and nowhere, certainly by any means, did I expect to make a career of it. Um, I had opportunities to go to Europe when I was younger to play soccer and even when I was in the NFL, I had an opportunity to go over, um, and I did. But uh, at the end of the day, I think the whole football thing uh, worked out for a reason, and uh, it was definitely the path to choose at the time. And you received a college scholarship to kick at William & Mary. Were you surprised to get offered a scholarship for football? Because it doesn't seem like you had this, you know, long story career of playing Little Loop, you know, football in the high school and such like that. You just, like you said, you didn't even start playing when you were in high school. Next thing you know, you're, you're kicking in college. Yeah. And the weird thing is, is, uh, we didn't, we don't, we don't film everything, you know, back up there at the time in the late eighties, we didn't have a whole lot of film. So when the big, big universities down the States asked for, we need game film and we need this, we need that. And our response was, well, we have film of one game and that was our final game. And that was at Ivor Wynn where the, uh, where the Tiger Cats played. And, um, it was our, it was our Halton County final. And that's the only film I had. It was one game, and I had a, a field goal, I think, a, a 40, maybe a 42-yarder. 
I punted well and I kicked off well, but that's all I had. So wherever we sent the film and I had offers, I had half offers from bigger schools from a, from a few big schools, but at half, I, I just thought, well, you know, that's a big move and really no guarantee that I could play my freshman year. And, and like you said, you know, I hadn't played that long in high school and I really wanted to, do, to go to a school where I could play my freshman year. And I was out in on the East coast of Canada in the Maritimes at a small school called Mount Allison in Sackville, New Brunswick. And I was there for a week. It's not like the NCAAs back then in Canada. If you wanted to go visit a school, you could, t- you could make a holiday out of it. So I did. And right, at, right before I was about to sign to play both soccer and football there, my dad calls and he says, you got a full ride offer from William & Mary. And the funny thing about that is my eighth grade trip um, back in Canada was to go to Washington, D.C., and we spent one day in Williamsburg, Virginia, and, they, and we went down the Duke of Gloucester Street, which is the old colonial Williamsburg part of town. And at the end of the tour, they said, there is the Wren Building from the College of Women Mary, established 1693. Huh. And we all said, who cares? <laughs> Little did I know that's where I was going. And that's, and it just, it was, I was very fortunate to be offered it. And of course I accepted it right away. Were you more, uh, and did you enjoy kicking or punting more back in that time? Obviously, I mean, things worked out. You became, you know, one of the better kickers ever in the NFL. But at that time, back when you were a teenager, did you like kicking more? Or did you like punting more? I really didn't have a preference. Um, the punting thing was really new to me. It was something that I I taught myself uh, one summer between my junior and senior year of high school. And, um, you know, when I when I signed my first contract in the NFL with, with the Buccaneers, they had Mark Royals, who punted in the league for 15 years, mm-hmm. and Chris Moore, who punted in the league for 15 years. And... They said, Steve, could you go punt with these two guys just to see if you can do it? We all had the same average, you know, mid mid to low 40s that day. But their hang times were a full second better than mine. And whether I liked to punt or kick more <laughs> than the other, that decided for me right away that my punting days were over. And the coaches... <laughs> The coaches basically said, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll pull you in if there's a disaster. And I, I get it. <laughs> so <laughs> that's when, uh, obviously I was going to be a kicker. What was your experience like being a football player at William and Mary? Did you enjoy your time there? I loved it. I, uh, joined a fraternity, uh, Lambda Chi Alpha, which, uh, Mark Kelso, uh, believe it or not, is a fraternity brother. Oh, wow. And, uh, so it was neat to be able to play with him and my rookie year. Uh, with the Buccaneers, I played with John Cannon, who was also a fraternity brother for William and Mary. So little side note there that, um, you know, we kind of t- – Kappa Sig at William and Mary is the big football frat. But the joke, and even now, I went back at homecoming uh, this year, and, and luckily enough, I sat with Martin Levy the whole game. But there was a bunch of older Kappa Sigs there, and I always rub it in saying, yeah, you guys might be the football frat, but you need to get a couple guys in the league before you can really claim that. <laughs> you know? Now, you mentioned signing with Tampa as a rookie. That was in 1990. That's a long ways away from Ontario, Canada for you. You know what I mean? It had to be, was that a big culture shock going from Canada then, you know, to College of Virginia and then down to Florida? Yeah, but well, you know, William Mary is, even though it's in Virginia and relatively, or geographically speaking, it's north. Um, it is it is part of the south. Anything south of Mason-Dixon line, I was told, is southern. 
So yes, yeah. things were different down there, but I really liked it. I really enjoyed Virginia. I, I still do. I think it's a, it's a, an amazing state and, and the people are wonderful there. And, and then same again, let's drive another 15, 15 hours down the road and, and, you know, sign in Tampa. But of course, for a kid from Ontario, anything in Florida means spring break, palm trees, sunshine, and, you know, that I had to quickly remind myself that, no, you're working and this is a job <laughs> and, uh, you know, you may get in the door, but you have to stay there. And that was, you know, those are the lessons in the, in, in the quick wake up calls as a rookie that you, you know, quickly realized that this could be gone at any moment. And, um, you know, you really had to dial it in and, and, uh, learn how to be a professional. Yeah. And you know what, you're a Florida veteran. Now you hear about the palm trees and spring break and all that stuff. And that's fun, but you're here down here in the summer. You know what it's like. It's not always fun when it's 93 degrees and feels like it's 110 every single day in the summer. Probably took a while for you to get used to it. When you came into the NFL, did it take a little bit for you to get used to that weather change? Well, and back then, our my first head coach was uh, Ray Perkins. And he used to, you know, old Alabama coach. And mm-hmm. he had us out there three practices a day. Now you can't even do that. The league has changed the rules. And, you know, things are, things are run a little bit differently at camp these days. But back then, we had three days full gear. And uh, there's a reason why things have changed. We had guys dropping from from the stadium into the the training center. Guys were literally dropping, and they just stick the IV right in their arm and put them on a table. And, you know, it's like mm-hmm. when it's that hot, wearing full gear three times a day. You just can't. Some of the guys, you know, the linebackers and a lot of the guys that are working so hard, they just couldn't keep hydrated. And I think that's why we're down to two a days and and a lot less in the pads. It's uh, you know, certainly a, a different approach these days for player safety, which, uh, of course, uh, is, is is a better move. Sure. Now, you spent two years in Tampa and uh, put it generously. The team wasn't very good in 1992, <laughs> though. No. And I'm being nice. I'm in a good mood today. OK, they were six and ten and three and 13. Your two years there. I looked that up before I called you. But in 1992, that changes. Obviously, you signed with the Buffalo Bills. Of course, they were coming off their second straight Super Bowl appearance. Did you feel a little bit of extra pressure going to Buffalo? And more specifically, what was it like walking in that locker room in 92 and seeing so many future Hall of Famers, you know, dead smack in their prime still? Guys like Kelly and Thurman and and Andre and and Bruce Smith. So many other great players too, you know, Bennett, Daryl Talley. I could go on and on. That's just a great locker room, a great team. Did you feel any extra pressure joining that team at that time? It was was certainly a wake-up call because things were run completely different uh, an entirely different attitude and had i stayed in tampa i would have been playing for my third head coach in three years so things weren't very stable in tampa and to go to a team like buffalo at the time that as you had mentioned were just coming off their second consecutive super bowl first of all was a no-brainer when when bill polian called me and said look you're coming up i said well i've kind of got this weird deal with tampa and the whole plan b thing and he just started laughing and I said, okay, I guess that means I'm coming up there. <laughs> and here's the thing. I, uh, you know, I meet my parents at the, up there. Uh, my agent uh, from Toronto at the time, Gil Scott, he picked me up uh, in a limo and that. And we get to the stadium thinking, oh, yeah, this is fantastic. You know, I'm signing with the perfect team for me. 1,500 Scott Norwood fans were out there protesting my arrival. Wow which was a testament to not only Scott Norwood, but the fans of Buffalo. Yeah. But I also realized quickly that that it was, that was meant for anyone. 
But my my rebuttal to all that was, well, wait a minute. Scott's from Virginia. I'm from here. I'm coming home. <laughs> so, and then Scott was still in at, at minicamp. So we went head to head that year. Yeah. I think they wanted to make sure that even though I was a plan B signing and all that, they wanted to make sure that I was legit. But that was very awkward because a lot of the guys, a lot of those players that you had mentioned were very loyal and good friends with Scott. And rightly so, because Scott Norwood's a great guy and we are friends now, and which I appreciate immensely. But it was very difficult to go into camp with him. I'm still in my early 20s and he's, you know, early, mid 30s. And it, and it just and I realized, too, that someday that sort of thing would happen to me. And it was just difficult. But it, it, but again, I also appreciate the fact that he was so well loved by his teammates, the coaches, and the fans. And and I realized, too, that it was going to take me time to get that same admiration. So I just stuck my got, got my got my game on and did what I had to do during minicamp and pushed forward. And that's all you could do after that. So you're new to Buffalo. Marv Levy's your new head coach. What were your first impressions of Marv upon meeting him? Well, I knew about Marv because Marv coached Jimmy Laycock, who was my coach at William Mary. Jimmy Laycock just retired this year after 39 seasons leading uh, the William Mary football program. Coach Laycock was coached by not only Marv Levy, but also Lou Holtz. So all of a sudden, when the bills call, there's a link. There's an auto, there's there's a William Mary link there already, and it's the head coach. That, in fact, um, was very comforting to me to to swap teams like that early on in my career as still as a young professional, and to know that there was a William Mary connection there that meant a lot to me. And then, then the more I would listen to Marv, the more I realized what a great teacher he was. And quite frankly, uh, in my 15 years and dealing with so many coaches. There is and will never be anyone like Marv Levy. He is truly a gem, and it was an honor to play for him and to learn from him, not only lessons for the football field, but also lessons in life. And, and you know, we all make mistakes. We're all not perfect. But, you know, if there's one thing that rang out about Marv and one thing that sticks in my head is no matter what happens in life, you have to be resilient and you have to be able to meet adversity head on and and do the right thing. And that's what I've learned from him. And, and really, um, what a tremendous guy. And like I mentioned, I was fortunate enough to sit with him at uh, William Mary Homecoming this year. And he is still sharp as a tack. It was uh, really a thrill to see him again. Now, I'm certainly not asking you to throw any shade at your former teammates in Tampa during your time there. But I would imagine that the culture in the locker room being in Tampa as a young rookie with those two teams and then coming to Buffalo, like I said, with some of the players that we mentioned, that had to be a whole different world for you in terms of football and just environment and the atmosphere and the attitude in those locker rooms. Am I right with that? Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, when, when your team's struggling, there's a lot of turnover as well. And in the league, uh, Tuesday is your day off. So quite often those first two years in Tampa, Mark Royals and I, he was our punter at the time, we'd walk into the locker room and kind of take note like who's missing right and by the end of the season we'd probably have two new guys every week so we'd have to kind of figure out okay those are the two new guys but who do they cut and that was kind of it was scary i mean every i think everybody sort of played scared because there was so much turnover in the locker room and then the coaches would get fired so you know it was i was very thankful 
and will always be thankful to to Coach Perkins for signing me. But it wasn't safe ground by any means. And when you go from six and six and ten to three and thirteen, you know you're on thin ice. Sure. And the, the opportunity to go to Buffalo, where granted we all know they went to four in a row and they didn't win any, any of them, but the fact that they were riding high as the AFC champs for all those years, you want to talk about a change of scenery and in a completely different attitude. The confidence level in Buffalo was unbelievable. But the fact, well, in addition to that was the fact that the team was so close, so close person, the personalities and the characters and the swagger that the team had. Yeah. You had your, your future hall of famers, but everybody had that winning confidence, that swagger that you need in the NFL and the bills had it back then. And it, but, but it came from this low lying, not so in your face confidence from, from Bill Polian and Marv Levy that, you know, we're here to do a job and we're going to go and help you guys do that. And yeah, we're going to, we're going to try to win. We expect to win. We're not playing not to lose. We're playing to get back to the Super Bowl, And that was it. And yeah, it was a band of characters, but they were, they, um, you know, Marv and his coaching staff were able to keep everybody together. And that was what was really key. Now, you were a huge part of one of the best and most famous games, not just in Buffalo, but in NFL history. And this is your first year with the organization. Of course, I'm talking about the playoffs when you erased a 32-point deficit to beat Houston in overtime in that famous AFC wildcard game. What was that experience like for you just being on the field and living it? I mean, it's one thing to watch it on TV. It's one thing to read and hear about it. To be on that field in that moment and live it. What was that experience like for you? The first half, of course, was, I mean, it, I, I sort of questioned a little bit in the back of my head, why did I leave the palm trees and, and the big sombrero in Tampa? Because it was so easy to kick there. Yeah. Um, and this is my first playoff game, and we're getting shellacked. We're getting embarrassed at home. And we go into halftime, and Daryl Talley starts running through the locker room saying, all right, boys, it's not over, it's not over. And we're not really smirking at him. <laughs> Or right. with them, but we're all kind of saying, "That's ah, Daryl. It's just Daryl." Yeah, on the outside, yeah, yeah, yeah. But we're all, but we were all saying that, you know, our row, uh, BB Metzalars, we had some characters in our row and in the locker room. We were all sort of saying, "Well, let's just do something so it's not so embarrassing because it's embarrassing right now." Like, let's get out there and do it. And sure enough, we get out there and Frank throws a pick for six. And we all kind of looked at each other and said, well, that's not what we had in mind. <laughs> uh, <laughs> even Marv mentioned it uh, a few weeks ago when I saw him. Somebody asked the same question that you did. And Marv mentioned something about that saying, no, Frank, that's not, that's not what we wanted. <laughs> I turned the game uh, off at that time. I'm not going to lie to you. I had a radio that wasn't on TV and I wasn't there. So I turned the well, radio off for a little while. Yeah, people are people are jumping the walls. They're leaving. Sure, and uh, you know we all wanted to leave too. I think most <laughs> of us. But um, but then things turned around, and um, you know it was just it was incredible to see. I mean Andre Reed, Don, you know BB, and so many guys, both sides of the ball, all three phases. In fact, we did some miraculous things that day, and it was uh, you know when you really think the game was over, uh, it just goes to show it really isn't and never, ever give up. And I mean, that was, that was the lesson learned there. It's not over until it's over. And we just kept plugging away and, and big play after big play. And, and Frank, you know, Frank 
was at the helm. He turned the whole thing around, and it was really it was really an honor to be part of that that game. It was uh, one heck of an experience. And by the time it was all said and done, we got off the field, and I said, if all the playoff games in Buffalo are going to be like this, I definitely can't take it. <laughs> <laughs> I can't take this pressure. Now, a guy like you, man, I mean, you could kick 32-yard field goals in your sleep or with your left foot. But to win that game, a 32-yard field goal, that had that had to be the most pressure-packed 32-yard chip shot that you've ever probably felt in your life, I would assume. Well, and, and you're right, but I think part of that was because of what happened to Scott uh, Norwood. And I think, it, you know, and I always look back and said, you know what? Thank goodness that ball went through because oh, I didn't yeah. want to have to relive that. And uh, because it's been so hard on Scott, you know, because he had a great, great career and he was a great kicker. But unfortunately, a lot of people outside of Buffalo mostly will remember him for one kick. And that's not really fair. And there was a bit of pressure that way. Like, let's just get this baby through and get this game over with. And maybe we can bury that shadow for a while. And, and that was sort of my, my, my thinking at the time. But, but again, when it was all said and done, we still really didn't, it never really sunk in until I think the season was over as to what we were able to do that game against Houston. Now, that wasn't the only clutch kick that you made during that playoff run. You had five field goals against Miami in the championship game. That was Buffalo's third time going to the Super Bowl. Your first, first year with the team. What was that moment like for you? How did that feel going, you know, thinking about being at a smaller college? going to a team in the NFL that struggled for two years. Now you're in Buffalo and you were not just a uh, part of that team, but you were a major reason why they go to their third straight Super Bowl. What was that moment like for you? Well, it's, it's pretty funny. I got to tell you this. Uh, I, I kicked five field goals that game against Miami, but I missed one. And so when I came out of the locker room, John Butler was standing there. He was the assistant GM at the time. And he grabs me and he goes, what the hell happened to that one kick? <laughs> and I said, I said, okay, that's how it's going to be. Okay, I have to make all six of them. That's what I told myself after that. I know he was teasing, and it was his John's dry sense of humor, but he made his point. Like, yeah, thanks for the five, but we want you to make six because we're going to the Super Bowl. And I got, I got the message. I got the message. But um, it was really surreal. It was really surreal to think that that team was going back. And then the following year to do it again, it was, and it wasn't always easy, as you know, I mean, to get there, as we've seen, even this year with the Philadelphia Eagles, it is not easy to go back right. at all. And, um, you know, again, just, to, just the, the team, the, the whole spirit of the team was, was, was really unbelievable. And, you know, just to be part of it was, was overwhelming. And then the game itself you know, you've got all these parties and all these events, Super Bowl and Super Bowl and Super Bowl stuff. But when the game starts, it's just a game. Or at least you have to try to tell yourself right. that. Um, and then, of course, the first one that I was in was at the Rose Bowl. And, you know, other than Don Beebe running down Leon Lett, I, there wasn't too much to talk about. I think Taster blocked a punt. But other than that, it wasn't too pretty. Right. But um, But to be part of that was certainly, you know, to be part of a Super Bowl at that point was was really incredible. There's a fun fact that not everyone knows about you, especially, like I said, younger fans. You set a Super Bowl record with the 54-yard field goal against Dallas in Super Bowl 28. That was the second time playing Dallas. Still a record today. That had to be a proud moment for you. And it also, it was early in the game, too. Dallas had scored first. You guys came back down the field, and you nailed that long field goal. It's got to be a proud achievement for you looking back to have a set a Super Bowl record with that kick. 
Yeah, it was, that was neat. Um, you know, it was, it was, it was uh, certainly an opportunity. Um, and it was funny, you know, every year, even though you lose a Super Bowl, you still get an AFC ring. And when Ralph Wilson was our owner, he, you know, would come in at mini camp and we'd get our rings then. And, and, uh, Ralph, uh, Ralph said, well, Steve, uh, you went out there and Marv sent you out there and I don't know how far it was, but it sure was far. I didn't know what he was doing, but you made it anyway. <laughs> and that was this sort of this weird, here's your ring speech. And I was like, yeah, I, yeah, we made it. Remember? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, like, don't question Marv, you know, he obviously had confidence that I was going to make it, but um, yeah, a small concession because obviously I'd, I'll take a miss and, and take, take the win, you know, but uh, you know, you do the best you can when you're out there. 13 times during your career, you kicked a game-winning field goal, including nine times within the final minute of a game. Where does that clutch gene come from? I just, um, I really felt it as an opportunity to be able to close a game out. I never say I would win a game because so many things have to happen before we even get in position. But I liked, I like being a closer. I like to be able to contribute to the team that way and say, yeah, let's just make this kick game over done, you know, move on. And I, and I really like that pressure. I, uh, I, I like being a clutch kicker that way. Um, what was dangerous for me were short kicks in the first quarter when it really didn't matter. I had um, more trouble with that than game winners at the end because I really thrived on the pressure at the end of the game. and I really enjoyed that. Now, so many great moments for you being a Buffalo Bill throughout your career. I'm assuming the worst was the Music City Miracle in Tennessee. How long did it take you to get over the way that game ended? You know, with the lateral, or as Buffalonians, myself included, like to say, the forward pass. How long did that take? How long did that take to get over? That God, it was so gut wrenching. Well, there's, as you know, there were so many things that happened before that. Oh, um, absolutely. You know, Dougie was, Dougie won ten or eleven games that year and gets benched for the playoff game. That was the first issue, and nothing against Rob because Rob got us in a position to win. We hit the field goal at the end, and I thought, okay, there's another game winner. Yeah. And, you know, we get into the huddle and the call was a uh, bloop kick, right? Which goes around the 20 and, you know, we executed that, but we got sucked in with the pitch and the throwback. And next thing you know, Donovan Greer and I are the only guys on the right side of the field and I'm not going to catch anyone. I'm not going to lie. I wasn't signed to run <laughs> and uh, Donovan and I both got blocked right away. And I just knew there's no way we're going to get, I think it was Dyson that ran it in. There's no way we're going to catch him. The question was, was it a forward lateral? And you it know, was. Even, even coming off the field, Wade Phillips was shaking his head, going, no, 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 it doesn't count, doesn't count. But then they didn't overturn it. And there we are in the locker room saying, What just happened? And then, you know, for weeks, like the fans, we all looked at the film. We kept looking at the news and kept listening to everybody on the radio and on TV. And I'm not convinced it was a, a legal pass either. I mean, it's just so, I don't know. It's such a gray area. Um, it was a great play. It really was. And what's funny about it is that Al Lowry, the special teams coach who, who called that return was my special teams coach in Tampa, my second year. So I knew, I knew Al Lowry. The funny thing is we never did that in Tampa, probably because we're never in a position to have to have it. <laughs> you know? We probably yeah. down by so much. We didn't need it, but um, yeah, that's true. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, from a play calling standpoint, it was, it was brilliant and yes, they executed it, but yeah, there's always, there's always going to be a question mark, but, but yeah, that one hurt because we really did have a, a, a really good team that year. And, 
you know, the Titans and the Rams were in the final, and we really, really thought we could beat either one of those teams. Now, you played in the NFL for 15 seasons, nine of them with the Buffalo Bills. You kicked 336 career field goals. Now, your career mattered enough that the Buffalo Bills gave you a one-day contract in 2008 so that you could retire a Buffalo Bill. That doesn't happen all the time in the NFL once players move on. It did for you, and it's probably even more rare when a kicker gets that opportunity. What did that mean to you? Uh, you know, I always, you know, I love my, I was there nine years. I, I really loved my time there. I met my wife there, and, uh, you know, all four of my girls were born in Buffalo. So, I mean, we have a real connection. In fact, we were just there last weekend, uh, just visiting friends. We went to a show of our, uh, a friend of ours is in a band, and, you know, it's um, it's always great to go back there and to retire a bill was a no brainer. Uh, I finished my career with the New York Giants, but I was only there for one year. And at the end of the day, I was a bill. And uh, thankfully, they they let me sign on for a day and retire the next. What did it mean to you to get inducted into the Buffalo Sports Hall of Fame in 2010? Well, as, as far as that goes, again, it was a great honor. But there are so many. And as a hockey fan. Uh, Lindy Ruff went in the same year as I did. So that, that kind of boosted the whole event for me. And, uh, to be able to go in with a guy like that was, was really special. Now, before we wrap up, I want to ask you a couple more things here. In March of 2017, it was revealed that you tried to do the Buffalo Bills a solid. Okay. You offered to help kicker Dan Carpenter, who went from being really clutch to, I mean, pretty much missing everything. I mean, he started struggling real bad and it went downhill quick for him. You wanted to help him out, but you were told by Doug Whaley, the GM at the time, that they weren't looking for any outside help. Obviously, you, several fans, and I mean several fans, took offense to that. You're hardly an outsider. You're the best kicker this organization has ever had. I mean, to be nice, and I'm being nice here, you know, the Bills saying that, or, you know, Whaley, that they're not looking for outside help. That's a misguided statement at best. How much did that bother you at the time, at least? Oh, it did. Certainly. Uh, I said, if anyone's an outsider, it would be, it would be like, you know, these guys that have been there for two, three years and really haven't done anything. Right. And, uh, and now they're gone, you know, enough said there. I mean, they're gone. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, is this the leadership of the club? Is this what our club is? No. Would this happen under the, uh, would this happen with the, with the Polian Levy slash John Butler era? Never. They didn't do things like that. They didn't speak like that to anyone or the media. It wasn't done. And that's what upset me the most. I said, you know, and, and, and quite frankly, it probably just wasn't Whaley at the time. It was a lot of people there at the time. And the record shows it. If you do things properly upstairs, it trickles down downstairs and the players get it. And the whole, the whole organization wins and the whole organization loses. But when you get commentary like that, that's quite frankly uncalled for, at the end of the day, the product is on the field. And it was. And it was. And those guys are gone. And that's, you know, and obviously that's part of the game too. Nothing lasts forever in the NFL or not for long, as they say. But, you know, I really was just offering to help. I wasn't pushing for a job. In fact, I was still going through my cancer uh, recovery and my treatment. So no, it had nothing to do with a job. I wanted to help a fellow kicker who I knew had great potential, who I knew was 
a very good kicker and I thought I could help him. And he clearly wasn't getting the help that he needed. And before you know it, they cut him. And that's what upset me because I don't think they helped him enough. And I said, look, I'm, I'm literally in Niagara on the Lake. I'm across the river. I will come in and I'll do my best to turn this guy around. And that was it. Now you mentioned fighting cancer a couple of minutes ago. Let me ask you this, Steve, how are you feeling nowadays? Good. Um, <laughs> not without a few reminders, but, uh, uh, at, at the end of the day, uh, I can't complain. Uh, I just sort of plug through it and, uh, it is what it is. I'm thankful to be here and, uh, you know, I'm very fortunate to, to do so. How hard has it been for you seeing Jim Kelly go through what he's going through and it, obviously inspiring a ton of people as well along the way, you know, him very well, you played with him to see what he's gone through and how he's come out. What do you got to say about something like that? Yeah, it's it's really hard, and and uh, there's, I mean, cancer hits all kinds of people from all walks of life and all ages, and uh, and it's different for everyone, and and people recover in different ways, and and unfortunately, a lot of people don't, and that's the scary thing about it, and and that's why the fight carries on, and and Jim is the epitome of somebody that hit, that continues to fight it and has had to fight it more than once. And, um, I mean, I know it's been tough and, but, but you know what, that strength that he showed as a quarterback with the bills has parlayed into his victories beating cancer. And that's, uh, again, that goes back to not only Jim, but all the coaches and all the people that have influenced him along the way, Uh, he'd have to say that, you know, he's very fortunate to not only have that inner strength, but to also be able to you know, use that knowledge and, and to use the great lessons that have been passed on from the football field uh, into life. How much have you been able to keep up with the Buffalo Bills this year? Oh, well, uh, you know, I got to say that it is nice being in Florida because I don't hear every little thing. Yeah. Uh, but last year was certainly really exciting to see the Bills get in the playoffs. And um, uh, but this year, you know, things happen. And uh, it's been tough. It's been a tough year. Uh, I think last weekend was one of those deals. It's like, look, man, let's just beat the Dolphins. And uh, we didn't do it. And that that's, you know, I'm still one of the old school guys that still thinks that we have a rivalry with Miami. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> I love that, man. I, I wish yeah, every yeah. fan still thought that way. Yeah, yeah. But uh, you know what? It's been, a, it's been a tough year and a strange year. And certainly uh, I'm with the fans now. And I'm, you know, I, I certainly didn't expect it, but. Again, we got to fight through this and, you know, the guys have to keep, keep looking, you know, looking down the road and to, to next Sunday and we got to start winning. We got to start winning. There's a lot of talent there. Sean McDermott, another William Mary guy, a brilliant guy. And I just think he needs time uh, to gel this team and uh, get our quarterback situation fit, healthy and ready to go. And, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of potential there. So before we get out of here with the mini lightning round, I just wanted to ask you, how you how are you doing in Florida? Like, what are you up to nowadays, living out your life, enjoying it in Florida? Uh, other than being a, uh, a driver for uh, my daughter's uh, crew practice, she's at uh, Sarasota Crew. She's, she's been a rower now for a little while, and uh, I'm dad's taxi for that. I'm enjoying my time <laughs> in the car with her. Yeah. But uh, other than that, my wife and I do a bit of real estate down here to keep busy. Uh, we've had a license down here for a number of years. And uh, we enjoyed working together on that. And, but other than that, I'm, uh, you know, I enjoy being a dad, and that's uh, uh, it's 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 been really special. My youngest daughter's 15, and 
we're very close and uh especially after you know my my uh, my illness i uh every moment's precious and uh that's really what what florida's been been able to afford to me is is the time well spent with my family yeah absolutely all right see so here's what we're going to do i'm going to end with a little mini lightning round just going to ask you a handful of random questions nothing too serious not a lot of deep thought required whatever the first thing that pops in your mind that's your answer cool with that yes let's go all right who was your favorite kicker in the nfl well, it's uh, probably Morton Anderson, even though we played against each other. He was a soccer player and uh, just a real classy guy. And and uh, we're, we're friends to this day. And obviously now he's in the Hall of Fame. I couldn't be happy for him, but Morton Anderson. Gun to your head here and you can only pick one. Who would you consider your favorite teammate ever? <laughs> I know that's impossible. I'm, I apologize, man. <clears throat> I've got to, I got to say, even though we were only together for three years, <clears throat> I'd have to say Darren Bennett, the punter for the uh, San Diego Chargers, we were together and he was from Australia. I was from Canada. We called ourselves the Commonwealth. And because we were so old at that point, as far as NFL standards, uh, we really had a great time together. And, uh, you know, we, uh, we bonded, we bonded really well. Now, now I have to say this though, because I was with Chris Moore for eight years, um, you know, or nine years, we had, we also had a blast. I mean, I, I'm giving you two answers on that. That's good. I'll take two. That's a hard question. Like I said, yeah. ask. who's the toughest NFL player? This is another one too. Who's the toughest NFL player you've ever seen or been around? Just the biggest, the tough guy. You know what? He doesn't come across as a tough guy, but Andre Reed, because he made those catches over the middle day in and sure. day out, arguably some of the worst routes around, and he'd still come up with a ball double, triple coverage, he'd get sauced, just sauced. But you know what? He'd come out with the ball and uh, keep going. I mean, I, I'd have to say Andre, although, again, you know, we meet him off the field, one of the nicest guys you ever meet. What's your favorite city to visit? Glasgow, Scotland, home of Glasgow Celtic, my favorite soccer team. Nice. Okay. <laughs> What's one movie that you can't do without? Like, if you could only have one DVD laying around your house, which one would it probably be? Well, because I'm old, I'm an old fraternity man. I'd have to say Animal House. Not that we did all that, but we certainly <laughs> tried. All right. Second last question here, Steve. If you had never played football at any capacity, or if you you know went to college and kicked, but it didn't work out, you didn't make it in the NFL, what do you think that you may have went on to do with your life? I really wanted to be an architect. And, uh, and I, I ended up being an art major instead because of the, the program at William & Mary didn't allow... Uh, for me to miss any of the lab work because of football practice. So I had to make that decision. So I ended up taking oil painting, which worked out fine, but uh, I was going to go into architecture. Okay. Last question here. The traditional last one, always a tough one. Three dinner guests, any era, dead or alive, anyone could be at your dinner table tonight. Maybe a couple drinks with as well. Who you got? Sean Connery. Okay. Billy Connolly. Okay. And Jock Steen, who coached Glasgow Celtic to the first European Cup title won by a British team. So I think I've listed three Scots. <laughs> that's awesome, man. <laughs> so that's there, awesome. May be, there, there may be a wee drum between the four of us. That's for sure. <laughs> all right, everyone. Steve Christie, all-time Buffalo Bills. Great. See, this was fun, man. Thanks a lot. Thanks for your time. I really appreciate it. Anytime. My pleasure. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
right, that was a nice little stroll down memory lane for Buffalo Bills fans with Steve Christie. I didn't realize it until after I talked to him, but me and him actually only live about 15 minutes away. Anyway, time for a little bit of the running with Joe. I got my man Joe from the great city of New York on with me. Of course, he's Buffalo Wins on Twitter. What's going on, man? Yo, you're a Steve Christie guy, aren't you? Yeah, he's definitely the best kicker in Bill's history. So sure, I guess he, I should be a Steve Christie guy. Yeah. I know what guy you're not. That's a Calvin Benjamin guy. <laughs> Dude, ours, probably everyone's favorite Buffalo Bills whipping boy. He's gone. The Bills cut Calvin Benjamin this past week along with Andre Holmes. Are you a little bit surprised that they cut him with a month to go in the regular season at this point? And they didn't just say, you know what, let him finish the season and then he'll probably go his own separate ways or whatever have you. Are you a little bit surprised or is this, uh, you know, something that you saw coming? Yeah, I'm not surprised at all. I mean, this this organization has ruled a bit with a, you know, an iron fist at times when it comes to jettisoning players like at different, you know, different times during the season, like even going back to like the Darius trade, you know, Darby Watkins, you know, if, if you don't fit in or you're not producing by their liking, you're going to be gone. And that they have giving Kelvin Benjamin chance after chance after chance to, to make an impact. And you could just see like through the last month, just like his snap count has been going down. They've been putting in younger wide receivers in, he's going to be gone next year. So it's not like, you know, it's a big deal in terms of getting rid of him. I mean, he's gone. He, he was going to be gone anyway. So it made sense to do it, especially if you are hoping that you can get these younger guys in, involved in the passing game and, um, you know, there's been zero chemistry with him and, and any of the quarterbacks the Bills have had over, you know, the last year and change that he's been here. Do you think, and listen, I'm not being naive here. I know the Buffalo Bills did not cut Calvin Benjamin solely because the fans hate him so much. But this is a team, and make no mistake about it, they have their ears and eyes on what's going on. They know how the fans feel about Calvin Benjamin. The guy produced very very little, but at the same token, you only had another four more games to go. I don't quite buy this whole, we're going to give the younger guys a chance. Kevin Benjamin is still a young guy. So I guess my question to you is, and it's probably a dumb one, but do you think that the fans hating on Kevin Benjamin as much as they have had absolutely anything to do with the Bills making this potentially, at least to some small part anyway, a PR move? No, absolutely not. No? I mean, they they kept no, they kept Nathan Peterman for how how many starts until they cut him? A lot. I don't I don't think McDermott gives a crap about Twitter or any of that sort of stuff. I they look they cut him because he's gone. He's going to be gone next year, which I think all of us knew since October basically. And you know, I don't I don't feel too bad for him overall. Like he just didn't play well, and I think he. He put a big target on himself. I think going back to August when he like trashed, Kel you know, Cam Newton, and you know when you do that, you better come in here and and contribute. And I can't. There are not many trades I can think of in Bill's history that have been as bad as that Benjamin deal was. And again, you know, whatever a third round pick, you know, third and seventh doesn't seem too much. But when you were counting on this guy to be your legit number one wide receiver. And he looked anything but, I mean, he looked like a number five wide receiver out there. It's a bad trade. It looks bad. It, it looks bad in Brandon Bean. And I'll, I'll take you for task, Pat, because you said you didn't care about, you know, oh, you know, we shouldn't give Bean any any sort of scoff because, you know, he made a, 
he made a uh, decision to bring him in, like give him credit for just making a move like that. Well, I'm not giving him credit. Like when you make these moves and everyone and their mother knew you needed to get a wide receiver in, you made this move. And guess what? The move didn't work. And I think that's that's a detriment towards Bean because they brought this guy in thinking he was going to be the number one wide receiver. And he failed. He wasn't coming in here to be like the number three guy or number four guy. He failed miserably. Well, I agree with you that he failed miserably. There's no denying that. But I still like the fact that Bean kind of swung for the fences a little bit. You're not going to get every tree's not going to work out your way. I'd rather them make moves every year and fail than to sit back and do nothing when they know that they need something. But when you, let me say this too. When you factor in the following, they did give up two picks for him. The guy's a former first rounder. He's failed to help two quarterbacks. He was supposed to be the savior for Tyrod last year. And he was supposed to be a big asset to Josh Allen this year. Clearly that was not the case with either. He looked lazy running routes. His compete level was not good enough. Fans saw through that. Do you think based on all of that, that he's right near the top of the list of people that the Bills fans just don't like? Dante Whitner, Willis McGahee, uh, maybe Josh Reed, Stephon Gilmore, a couple guys like that. He's right up there, isn't he? Yeah, he's definitely up there. I mean, it's um, it, it will be interesting to see what happens going further because if he gets signed, and it does seem like Benjamin is a, is a cat that likes to talk shit. I mean, he talked junk about cam newton on the way out <laughs> so if if you're going to talk about cam newton you know being like bad i think you're definitely going to talk about how bad it oh, was oh yeah here. he's going to you know? kill the quarterbacks he's going to kill nate peterman and mccarran yeah, like, and matt barkley and everybody yeah and if i know bill's twitter you know they're always get you know get very territorial and angry whenever someone bashes them so yeah he's definitely up there i mean he it just didn't work i you know it, it's weird with the whole route running thing because there is a part of me that he looks bad when he runs routes but some of it is like i think because he's so big and he just lumbers when he runs he just doesn't look you know he he should be a tight end <laughs> you know what i mean like he's just too big and when he he doesn't look crisp when he's running but i think part of the reason why he doesn't look crisp is because he's so big and he just lumbers out there for the most part but yeah look it, it was bad since day one i mean it i mean when you get when you bust your kneecap or whatever happened to him you know in that san diego game on, on your first catch you know, in that game two, you know, the second game you are here, that, that just tells you how bad it's going to be. And it just was horrible from day one. Yeah, I agree. He's gone. Let's just move on. I'm going to get your take on Josh Allen, because I realize that if I don't ask you, you're going to give it to me anyway, based on how he looked in Miami last Sunday. I thought he played great. Most people thought he played great. Are you as encouraged now after Sunday as you've been at any point since Buffalo made him the seventh overall pick in the draft this past April. I thought overall he played okay. I mean, it's it was his whole game and all his starts for the most part have been very inconsistent at times, which I guess you can say, hey, that's that's what you're supposed to get with a rookie quarterback, and that's totally valid. But I I felt he he didn't look so good in the first half. I mean, come on, like he had fifty six yards at the end of the first half, minus six yards at the end of the first quarter. Uh, but he was really he balled out in the second in the uh, fourth quarter. I mean, that's where he gained a lot of his yards. I think I I think I, I saw him at like over 200 yards in total offense in the fourth quarter. I mean, that's good. That's crunch time. That's when you want your quarterback to look the best. I'm fine with him being like a total yards guy. You know, I think 
the idea of, hey, I, I need him to be like this pure pocket passer. Would I rather have him that over a guy who runs the football? Yeah, probably. But I'll take yards. I'm not going to complain if he gets 150 yards rushing. Like, good. Those are yards that you need. <laughs> Those yards count still, you know. And he looked good in the um, in the fourth quarter. He still's got. He still. If anything, we've I've said this probably in every podcast we've done. He looks like he's. You see the talent there. He looks incredibly raw. And you see that, like, you know, he's a, he's like the ultimate Sandlot quarterback. When things break down, he does crazy things. But there are things he has to work on. I think he has to work on his pocket presence. I think, to give you a specific example, if you look at that last play of the game, you know, that controversial one about whether it was a bad throw or Charles Clay making a drop or whatever the case may be, he he ran out of the pocket for really no reason. Like, he did not – he just r- runs out. And he, he tends to do that a lot when he does that little – spin around him a move and he needs to stop doing that you know because he's he's he just needs to kind of i think be a little bit more patient let the game come to him a little bit more and you know hope that you know he can make those throws without having to run around like his head is you know on fire but i was i was encouraged by it i don't think it's you know the thing that i would say is annoying is definitely there's a lot of extremes on twitter like there's people who just despise the guy and then there's people who just Love the guy so much that they're like flying into your mentions to yell at you if you're not blown away by him. You're a tough audience, dude. Me? I mean, yeah. dude, it's really? he was decent. What do you what do you want me to say? He was he was off the hook? Yes. Like, I dude. thought he was. I thought he fucking played phenomenally. I really do. Um, no, no. His, that, his that, legs, that, he made better throws. He was making his run for his life behind a completely fucking terrible offensive line. It just keeps getting worse, man. And, and as far as the spinorama move, maybe you're right on the last play. I don't have it in front of me, so I I don't want to say something without looking at it. But dude, dude he, he totally, he's got to move, he, or he's gonna get fucking killed back there. Okay, first, okay, yes. Well, no, on that last play, he didn't run out of pocket. He did when he didn't have to. But look, I'm giving him credit. Look, all I'm saying is he's he's the the negative about his play on Sunday was he just he wasn't consistent enough. That's it. That doesn't that doesn't mean he's a bust or I hate his gut. All right, that's fair. And you are right. Look, look, Pat, 56 yards passing at halftime. Come on. Like, what do you want me to do? Like, that's that's not great, man. Not great, Bob, as that gift says. No, it's not. It's not. But again, I I, that's where a case where I don't believe the numbers do him justice. And you are you are right on some fronts. He is still inaccurate. I mean, he did leave some points on the board. He misfired on a touch. Should have been an easy touchdown. To Zay Jones, he had a couple bad yeah. throws, but yeah, I don't I, think that's ever going to change. That's the shit that you're going to have to live with when it comes to this guy. I think he's getting more and more polished each week, and I, I don't know. I, I thought he played yeah, I excellent agree with that. Sunday. I agree. I don't know. I don't know what you have a problem with what I said. I, 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 I haven't been. You only thought he was competent. I thought he was excellent. No, no, no. I mean, hold on. I mean, competent since he's been starting. Like, that's what I mean. Not just in this game. I'm talking like since like day one. Like he's looked competent. Right. Like he hasn't looked. He hasn't looked, I mean, okay. he's been disastrous in certain areas. Of the, like, he wasn't good in the Green Bay game, and he wasn't good in the Houston game. Like, those were the games where I sat there and said, oh, my God, he doesn't. He hasn't looked good. But for the most part, in totality, he hasn't barfed on himself. Whereas, going back to August, we, kept, you and I kept talking about, he's a project, he's a project. Let's not hurry it up. Let's not hurry it up. But he's looked okay, you know, for the most part. You All know? right, that's fair enough. Okay. So he's, like, in totality. In totality. Now, Sunday, I thought he looked good. Hey, 360 yards in total offense as the box score scout over here. That's me. <laughs> I thought that's good. I would take that. So there you go. Jesus. <laughs> Fair enough. 
All right, so the first time the Bills played the Jets, we had to suffer through Barkley against McCown, although Barkley did play well that game, but nobody cared. Nobody wanted to watch that game. Now the rematch is Sunday at the Ralph, or I'm sorry, did I just say the Ralph? I should have said New Era Field. It's going to take me it's years. It's still the Ralph, dude. Urban it, is, Stadium. it is, and it's going to take me years to not say the Ralph. Anyway, rematch Sunday, but this time we got what the league wants to see, and that's Josh Allen against Sam Darnold, who's going to be returning. Is your level of excitement for that game, well, it goes without saying that it's higher than Barkley versus McCown. How interested are you in watching this game, knowing that two of the top rookies in the NFL are squared off against each other, and that Josh Allen, like you said, he's been encouraging. Makes you look forward to this game, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. Look, Josh Allen is... I don't want to say must-see TV because that that makes it out like he's like LeBron James or anything like that. But he is the one redeeming element for me to watch on Sundays. Sure. I mean, the Bills are four and eight. He's exciting. You know, the only yeah. Thing I, yeah. He's exciting. He's the future. It's the only thing I care about watching right now. Like if Josh Allen goes down with an injury and they they throw in Matt Barkley, uh, we're we're done with this podcast until like next season because <laughs> I'm not I'm not watching that shit. You know what I mean? So. Uh, yeah, it's exciting, and not only that, but it's exciting to see you know to see Darnold kind of play because this is this is what you hope becomes like the next Kelly Marino with like interdivision quarterbacks like you know for sure. the next 10, 15 years, and these are you know two of the top quarterbacks that were picked in this, the, the last draft. All right, let's switch gears real quick before we get out of here. The Buffalo Sabers have cooled off a little bit recently after their monumental ten game winning streak. They've now lost four in a row, although two of them came in overtime, and all four losses were each by one goal. Do you feel like it's becoming a case that, you know, maybe during the winning streak, games they were winning, they were getting a little bit of luck, whereas now the puck's just not bouncing their way at critical times? Like I said, and also, and this is important too, three of those four losses were to literally the top three teams in the NHL right now, talking about Tampa, Toronto, and Nashville. And even that Florida game that they lost, that was the second of a back-to-back after the game with Tampa. Do you feel right now that this is just um, just a little bit of bad luck going on, or are you legitimately concerned? Yeah, I mean, I, I, here's the thing with them. I, I the, the, the 10-game winning streak was awesome. I don't think overall they're like a top-five team, you know, when it, when it, when it all ends you know, in terms of when we, if we go forward to like April or something like that, I don't think they're going to be a top five team, but I don't think they're going to be obviously, you know, on the outside looking in at playoffs, you know, and I think yeah, that's kind of really? what you look. Yeah, I, don't, I think they're, I think they're a playoff team. Why you don't? It's not that I don't. It's just that are we kind of um, anointing them a little too quickly? I mean, this was a team right now, the beginning of the year, they've been dead last. We were just kind of looking for improvement. And this isn't just you. I'm talking about just the general consensus right now. I kind of feel like expectations got a little bit too high, a little bit too quickly. There's a nice run and I expect them to play well, but I'm not quite sure. But playoffs, I'm still not, I'm far from convinced that the Sabres are going to be in the playoffs. Well, I, here's the thing. I, I know that, you know, expectations probably did raise, you know, they, they went 10 straight. You're kind of like hoping they're going to win every game. For sure. me personally, I'm just happy they're entertaining. They, they has been so horrible to watch Sabres hockey for like the last six years. I am definitely in that boat of I'm happy we're here and it's fun guy right now. Oh, or, yeah. You know, I'm not, I'm not like, you know, uh, maybe we, we did have too many, too many expectations for them during this streak. I'm just happy they're entertaining. Um, if anything does concern me, like 
you know, it's crazy if you, as a sound like in their last in their last 13 of the last 14 games, Pat, have been decided by one goal. Like, crazy. that's a, that's a crazy number. They have played a lot of close games. So I, and, and, and it was a, it's definitely a crazy schedule. I think they played like 15 games in November, which I, that sounds unheard of. To me, I don't know what the hell like the NHL was thinking. Like, hey, we we need more Thanksgiving games. God damn it, you know I, I don't know why the schedule was like that. But I'm still optimistic about them. I still I think they're young, and I think when you're a young team and you have so much talent there, I feel like the sky's the limit that you're gonna keep you're gonna keep trending you know ahead of the game because you have that much talent. Like young, like just the youth is always going to trump you're an older team or something like that. But like these guys are high picks. They're supposed to be good. That's why you tank. That's why you got, you know, you were shitty for those three to five years so you can get, you know, Deline and Reinhardt and Eichel. Like, they're supposed to be good. You know, they better be good with all the picks they've had. So I'm still optimistic about them. And uh, I think the four game, look, they they lost those games. You know, those games were like tough games against tough opponents. So I'm happy that they have a little bit of a break. You know, they're not, they're, they played Tuesday. They're not going to play again until Saturday. They have the Flyers. The Flyers aren't very good. You know, if they get if they lose it against the Flyers, then I'll be a little bit like, oh shit, like here we go again. But I feel like they can they can play with anyone right now. I'm pretty optimistic. All right, I'll tell you what, we're having Skype issues this week. There were a couple other things I wanted to get to. We're not going to have time, but I do. I can't let you get out of here. Skype issues or not, without hitting your finisher. What do you got? What's your finisher this week? My finisher goes to Daniel Bryan. His heel turn since Survivor Series has been awesome. I didn't think I was going to like it because I always have always, you know, enjoyed Daniel Bryan as being a, you know, complete white, you know, white baby face. But his has been great. He's basically a tree hugger right now who's yelling at the world for, for eating, for drinking out of plastic bottles. I love it. <laughs> it's awesome. I, I don't, I don't know what it is about heels. Like WWE cannot book faces to save their lives when it comes to me being entertained by them. But when it comes to heels, he's been great. And I love, I love this new heel persona. He's reinvented himself. And that's how you can tell a talented wrestler when they reinvent themselves from what he was before, which was kind of like a comedic heel when he was with Kane to now he's like kind of a, like thumbs my nose at those people who, who want to tread on this earth. I love it. You know, go Daniel Bryan. The yes movement may be dead, but his movement continues. All right, that's a wrap for this episode. Big, big thank you once again the Buffalo Bills former kicker, the great Steve Christie. That was a fun interview. Really enjoyed that. I love when I get an opportunity to get a former player on, taking us back in time, taking us to those good old days where the Buffalo Bills were one of the best teams in the NFL. It was just so much fun being a fan. Steve Christie, of course, was a very, very big part of those golden era years of Buffalo Bills football. So thanks a lot, Steve. Thanks as well to my buddy Joe for doing our weekly Running With Joe segment. I apologize again to everyone listening. We had some Skype issues here and there. It kind of uh, became obvious as the segment went on. We'll get it right next time. We'll get it. Whatever was wrong, we'll make sure that we get it fixed for the next time. Thanks again, Joe. Guys, if you haven't done so already, would you please go to Apple Podcasts or iTunes, whatever it's called now, and just subscribe to this podcast 
All you got to do is open up that iPhone, click open the Apple podcast icon, do a search for analytics podcast, a big button will come up. It'll just say subscribe. Just hit it. Bam. That's literally all you need to do. Future episodes will get sent directly to your phone and you can play them and you can keep them or you can play them and delete them. If you don't want to use up all the storage on your phone, the choice is all yours. If you don't have Apple Podcasts, you can also catch us on Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, pretty much anywhere future award-winning podcasts are heard. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Tweets. Have a good, safe weekend. Enjoy it. Go Bills. Talk to you guys again on Tuesday.